Awesome. Good morning, church. Can we give it up for our media team? Yeah. Good morning, 11 o'clock. I'm looking out and I see some Cavalier fans already. Amazing. That's good. That's good news already in church. But would you take out your message notes with me this morning as we continue in our series called Explicit God? And what we're doing, man, the thing that I love about this series is the vision behind it that Pastor Dale set alongside our teaching team is that, man, we would get to know our God better, that we would know him explicitly with the hope, with the hope that it would help us to love him even deeper. It's kind of like that husband, you know, who says to his wife, I love you even more than the day that I married you. And I used to think, how's that possible? How are you going to love her more than the day you married her? Well, it's because over time, He's gotten to know her better, and so he can love her in an even deeper way. And that's what we're hoping that you and I can experience through this series, that as we get to know God and his attributes, and we get to understand that a little bit better, that it would cause us, it would humble us to love him even deeper. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So that's what we're hoping to do with this series. And so today we're talking about God's holiness, God's holiness. And and we're going to be in the book of Isaiah Isaiah chapter 6, if you have your Bibles or your message notes, and I'll give you a little bit of, if you didn't know who Isaiah is, he was actually what we call the prophet in the Old Testament. And a prophet would simply be somebody who heard a message from God and then spoke it out to his people. So Isaiah would hear messages from God, God would tell him things, tell my people this, and Isaiah would go out and he would tell the people. And so that's what we're going to take a look at here in Isaiah chapter 6, and it starts in verse 1 where it says this. It says, it was the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. And he was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe, it filled the temple. And attending him were mighty seraphim or angels, each having six wings. And with two wings, they covered their faces. And with two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And they were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. And then I said, this is Isaiah, it's all over. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people who also have filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Would you join me in a word of prayer this morning? Father God, again, we we come before you in Jesus' name, Lord. We just thank you for the privilege it is to worship you inside of your house this morning, God. And so as we humble ourselves before you, God, would you begin to speak? Holy Spirit, would you anoint this place, anoint this time, and would you begin to open our hearts, open our minds, and open up our ears as well to hear and to receive fully everything that you have to speak to us this morning. God, would you help me to preach in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And I see somebody in the back already, like I said, with the Cavaliers hat. But how many of you are following the NBA Finals right now? Game two is in just, nobody's watching the NBA Finals. All right, here we go. 
game two is in just a little bit, so we got to get out of here quick. But um, I'm just going to say this real fast, and I, I don't care what you think about me afterwards, but uh, the Cavs got robbed in game one, all right? They did. They did. Amen. Amen to that, because they did. Um, and if you're a Curry fan in here, that's fine. Just don't talk to me for the next couple weeks, for the next couple weeks. But, um, you know, growing up, man, I love this time of year. The NBA Finals is my favorite time. I don't even care who's playing. I just love watching the finals you know it's like I grew up in the 90s man I'm 90s kid so I wanted to be like Mike you know what I mean I grew up playing uh every time he would play in the finals I I had the privilege of having a hoop in my backyard and so um after he played man he would do something amazing and I would go outside in my yard and I would try and do the same thing that Michael did Michael Jordan did um in that game and I would spend hours mostly misses but some makes you know and, and try and be like Mike and um, growing up, I played in intermediate school, played in high school. And you don't get to hear this that often because I talk about volleyball more. But my first love in terms of sports was actually basketball. And so I played in high school. I wasn't like the best, never cracked the starting lineup, but I was on the team, you know. And uh, there was this one time, though, when I went to a college basketball game. You guys ever been to UH basketball, the Warriors at Stan Sheriff Center? How many of you guys ever got selected for the halftime show, or the halftime game at those things, yeah? There was this one time that I got chosen to be in the halftime show as the basketball game. They were taking a break, and there was 20 of us, and we were all UH students, right, 20 of us, and they lined us up, and they said we would each get one shot from half court, and if we could make that one shot, they would buy our books, not for just a semester, for the entire year, they would pay us and buy our books. That's like almost $1,000, you know, that's pretty expensive. This is before uh, Amazon.com, right, where you can find all the cheap books. But the, the books at the bookstore were expensive. And so I said, yeah, man, easy. You know what I mean? I grew up playing basketball. I used to go after practice and mess around with my friends. We would make half-court shots all the time. And so I was pretty confident. I got the ball. I stepped up. I think I was like third in line. And the, the, guy, the two guys in front of me, they were, you know, no good, and they missed. And so I was laughing, and it came to my turn. It came to my turn. And, man, I remember 5,000 people were in that arena. And I remember taking two steps. I took two steps, and I let that thing fly, man. It just went. And, and I remember for, for about a second, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. It was going in slow motion, right, as these things normally do. And there was uh, inspirational music in the background. And um, for a second, I really thought, man, I was like, this is going to be Sports Center, top 10 highlights. They're not just going to buy my books. Coach is going to scholarship me. I'm going to be, my tuition is going to be paid. Everything's going to be great. And that, that lasted about a second because it only took a second for me to notice that, man, it was going far enough but it was a little off to the right, you know what I mean? And, and a couple seconds later, that ball that I thought was so perfect, it didn't hit anything. It didn't hit the backboard. It didn't hit the rim. In front of 5,000 people, I just embarrassed myself. I think the only thing it hit was the guy in the front row taking the pictures, you know, because it was so far off to the right of the basket. And I'm glad that you guys can laugh about it with me this morning because it's actually pretty sore still. So thank you. Thank you for laughing about it. Sore spot for me, but... It's all right. You know that we laugh. We laugh about my story this morning. It's a funny story, but can I tell you that when it comes to the holiness of God, what we're talking about today, can I tell you that we only get one shot and we're outside of his holiness? We only get one shot at it. And well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, for us, that looks like this week or maybe even today, right? If there was a time when your anger 
got the best of you, right? You said something maybe you shouldn't have to somebody, maybe your kids or your wife or at work, whatever it is, that your anger got the best of you. Well, you took your shot and you ended up in the same place that I did with mine. Or maybe for for others of us in here that looks like, man, desiring something more than what God has already given you right now. Oh, guilty. Right? Like, God, I want, I want that position. I want that promotion. I want that car. I want that house. I want that relationship. I want that family. Man, that's all. That's, that's a shot. You took your shot, and we're found outside of his holiness. For others of us, God commands us, do not have any other gods before me. And so what that looks like is this morning asking ourselves, who's my God? Who, who really is my God? I can come to church, but who is my God? Because many of us, we've made ourselves our God. Right? Or we've made our work our God. We've made our family our God. And yet God said, don't have any gods before me. And we took our shot and we missed. And so this morning, what I want us to be able to understand is that, man, when we stand in front of a holy God, when we sing these songs, holy, 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 what does that really mean? What does that mean for God and what does that mean for you and me? Because I think oftentimes it's funny because as a Christian or or as a non-Christian, maybe you don't even believe in God this morning, but oftentimes we can get caught in this trap where we say this phrase right here, I wonder if you've ever heard it, that I'm good enough, that I'm good enough. Man, I have friends all the time. They don't come to church, but I talk to them and they say, I don't need to go to church, Chad, because I'm good enough. I'm a good person. I do good things. I love people. I'm fine. I don't need God. I'm good enough. And sometimes even those of us that come to church, we can get caught in that trap. We say, I come to church every Sunday. The bucket goes, man, I put money in it every time, every time. Sometimes I even serve on the weekends. I'm good enough. And the question that we need to ask ourselves, you and I this morning, is that when we say we're good enough, who are we comparing ourselves to? Because when it comes to God and his holiness, what we're going to find in scripture here this morning is our good is actually not good enough. And the things that we find as strengths in our lives, they're actually not that strong at all when we're standing before a holy God. And so the first thing I want to do for us is actually define this word holy. Because oftentimes, like I said, we see those lyrics or we, we read it in the Bible and we, we think we have an understanding of what this word means, right? Oftentimes we'll think, man, holy means good, that God is good, that he's perfect, he's moral, right? He's morally correct. Can I tell you this morning, I've had that definition before, but as I studied the language that this was written in, that word holy means so much more than just being good or perfect or moral, That word holy would actually tell us that God is separate. He's set apart. He's apart. He's unique. He's different than anything we've ever thought, anything we've ever seen, anything we've ever imagined here on this earth. God is holy. He's so good that he's set apart, that we cannot even enter into his presence because that's how good he really is. And so this morning, what does that look like? Isaiah is going to find two things. Two things that I want to share with you this morning, and I got to preface it with this, that when we talk about these attributes of the explicit God, his holiness, that he hears us from last week, his love, his grace, we're going to talk about these things. Can I tell you that the teaching pastor up here, we cannot even begin to scratch the surface in 30 minutes of the fullness of each of these attributes. 
I can only give you like just a taste, man. It's like going to Costco. You get the little sample. That's all I can give you. The, the job of you and I then, the homework would be to go outside of this place and start to ask God ourselves. God, reveal your holiness to me. Teach me about that through your word, through studying. God, what does your holiness really mean? So this morning, I have two things. Two things that we can learn from Isaiah that you and I can learn in our lives. And the first one is this. If you're writing this down, that God's holiness will humble us. God's holiness, it actually humbles us. Somebody say humble. God's holiness brings us to this place of humility. In fact, in verse two, we can see this, that it says that there were angels attending to God, the seraphim. They were called seraphim, but they're actually angels. And it's like this psychedelic picture, right? It says each had two, uh, six wings. Like what kind of animal has six wings? Like a bird with, with four extra wings. But it says with two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet, which in the literal translation, would tell us that was the private parts, the filthiness before God. And then with two, they flew. That was the normal part, right? We expect them to fly with their wings. But so they, they covered their faces. Why were they doing that? Because God's holiness, this is what it looks like. Think about the sun. man. every time I come up here to preach, one of the things I love to do is spend time with my family at the beach on the Saturday before I preach. And we love it right now. It's summertime, right? The sun is amazing. It's a beautiful day outside. Um, but think about this. How long can you stare at the sun before you have to turn away? And some of you are like, one, two, three, right? No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. I don't want to be responsible for you staring at the sun and blinding yourself. You can't stare that long, right? And think about this. If you took a plane or a rocket ship and you tried to go to the sun, what would happen as the closer you got, it would get hotter. And what would happen? You end up burning. Eventually, you would just die, right? And that's a more a fuller picture of the holiness of God. That we can't, these angels that were with him all the time, they couldn't even look at him. They couldn't even see him in his holiness because it was so blinding that it could actually destroy them if they got too close. Kind of like the sun. And in fact, in the Old Testament, when the high priest would go to make sacrifices, they would do it in this place called the Holy of Holies, where they believed that God actually lived. You know what they had to do with that priest? They would tie a rope around his leg just in case when he went in there and made the sacrifice if anything in him was unclean he would be destroyed before a holy god and they would have to pull him out using that rope that's that's a picture of the holiness of god you see the holiness of god is actually going to humble us it's actually going to humble us and these 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 angels right what are they saying they're crying out to each other kind of like what we just sang holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty. It is the Lord of heaven's armies. And the whole earth is filled with his glory. And at first, man, I thought, well, we sing that at church. That's Revelation song, right? That's some of the songs we sing. And, and, but what I saw as I studied the scripture is they're not actually proclaiming praise to God. That's part of it. They're doing that. But what also they're doing, they're singing about his love, but they're also saying this out of fear, out of reverence, out of respect that they could be destroyed at any moment. And they're crying out, not to God, it says they're crying out to each other. Bro, you better be careful. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're not, they're not praising. In that, in that moment, they're actually in reverence. They're actually in respect. They're actually out of fear saying, God, you're so far separate from anything I've ever seen, anything I've ever imagined. That is a picture of of God's holiness humbling them. 
humbling us. And it happens, it happens to Isaiah as well. It happens to Isaiah as well. It's happened to me as well. I'll share with you um, a time in my life, the most humbling moment by far of my life. You're thinking, well, how about that time you shot from half court and blew it in front of everybody? No, that wasn't the most humbling time, okay? There was another humbling time. How many of you ever been humbled before, right? Yeah, plenty of us, plenty of times, right? We've been humbled. The most humbling moment in my life was actually also the most beautiful moment in my life. It was, it was the day that I married my wife, Emily, but there was a specific time in the ceremony that I just got humbled, super humbled. I actually have a picture of it right here. If you take a look at the screen, you'll see that um, this was the moment, the most humbling moment of my life. And, and if you're a married man in this room, you know what I'm talking about. The moment that you see your bride and you're standing in the front with the pastor at the altar and you're waiting and, and you just see them for the first time, her and her father in the back of the church, right? And, and you're understanding in that moment what humility really is because that man has raised her for her entire life up until that point. And he's gonna hand her over to you now to lead her for the rest of her life. And, and I'm standing there seeing this in all of her beauty, in all of her attributes as, as a beautiful woman and everything that I respect about my father-in-law. And I'm standing up there saying, there's no way I deserve this. There's absolutely no way that I deserve to be in this position right now. And so what I did was I turned to my best man. I said, bro, you got the Kleenex or what? You brought the Kleenex. You brought the Kleenex. Because I wasn't crying, okay? But I was, you know, a little bit, a little bit tears. I said, bro, you got the Kleenex or what? And so that's, that's a picture though of that humility. That, that God's holiness should bring us to that point of, man, I, I don't deserve to be in your presence. I don't deserve this right now. And that, that's kind of what, what happened to me. It happens to Isaiah as well. In verse five, if you're following in your notes, it, verse five says, then I said, it's Isaiah talking, it's all over. I'm ruined. I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. And I love one translation. It says, it doesn't say I'm doomed. It says, I am undone. I'm unraveled that everything about me is now exposed. I'm finished. It's all over for me. And why is that significant? Man, if you look at this second sentence there, I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. And I thought, man, that's, that's super important because why? Isaiah was a prophet. What is a prophet's greatest strength? They're used to speak they're used to convey God's messages to his people. They use their lips. And he says, even the thing that I am being used for by God, my greatest strength is found filthy before the holiness of God. And so this morning, I want you to write this down. I'm gonna give this away to you. It's free, freebie tonight, okay? Freebie this morning, sorry. It's not even in your notes, but I want you to write this down. That standing in front of a holy God, this is what we're gonna find out. That our goodness is not that good, and our strengths are not that strong. That our goodness is not that good. In front of a holy God, our goodness, we think we're good people, is not that good. And our strength is actually not that strong. Because how many of you know, what's your greatest strength? If I asked you this morning, what is your greatest strength? Some of you say, man, my looks, my looks, greatest strength, you know? Okay, okay, maybe a little humility there, buddy. But <laughs> what is your greatest strength? If somebody asked you, what's your greatest strength? Well, I'm a good listener. Right? People can talk to me, I can listen, I can empathize with people. That's my greatest strength. 
Some of us, our leadership, right? You say, I lead people at my job. I lead people at my work, whatever it is, my family. I'm a good leader. That's my greatest strength. Others of you, you're struggling right now. I look at you, you're, you're kind of blind about your greatest strength. Well, how about thinking about maybe you have the best beef stew recipe in all of Hawaii. You know what I mean? That's your greatest strength, right? But can I tell you that your greatest strength when you're standing in front of a holy God will mean absolutely nothing. And that's the place where God wants us to be humbled by his holiness. That our greatest strength, man, it's, it's not that strong at all. I went into that shot thinking, oh, I'm pretty good at basketball. My strength is, you know, shooting. Coach, I didn't play much, but he brought me in to shoot the ball, you know, and so I thought, I got it. But in that moment, I found out that my greatest strength wasn't that strong at all, and that's, that's the place God's wanting to bring us to by humbling us inside of his holiness. Can you say amen to that? And by now you're thinking, well, Chad, this is getting pretty depressing pretty quick and uh, you got to turn the ship around because you're just telling me that my strength is weak and that uh, my goodness is no good. And so you got to do something. And so can I tell you that there's hope? There's good news. And his name is Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. And so number two is this, that God's holiness not only humbles us, but it actually makes us holy. God's holiness makes you and I holy holy. That's, that's amazing to me. That's crazy right now because I thought God wanted to humble me. Well, can I tell you that the only reason God needs to humble you is so that he can make you holy. He could make you holy, but only if you're able to be humbled before his holiness. And so recently, you know, uh, it's funny that um, a young adult asked me, they said, Chad, what, what is it? Uh, what, what are we going to wear? What are we going to look like in heaven? And I said, Man, I don't think it's going to matter, you know? You could tell that this person, they thought their greatest strength was passion. I mean, uh, fashion, right? Their fashion, their, their looks. And so, and I told them, it's not going to matter because in front of a holy God, he's going to humble us to a point where our greatest strength ain't going to mean nothing. But, but, he's going to also bring us to a place where he makes us holy. And you're saying, how does that happen? How does that happen that he makes us holy, right? Well, verse six, it would tell us the greatest thing, the most amazing thing Isaiah's ever witnessed in his life, and you and I as well, it says this, that then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal and had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs, and he touched my lips with it, and he said this, he said, see, this coal has touched your lips, now your guilt is removed and your sins are what? Forgiven. Your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. In that moment, the holiness of God actually makes Isaiah holy as well. And you're saying, man, that sounds awesome, right? He humbles us, but he actually makes us holy. How does that work? And so I'm going to give you the answer. This is how it works. After service, right outside, Pastor Jared's going to have the hibachi going. He started already. And so you're going to get the tongs. He's going to get the coals. And if you want to be made holy, he'll just place it right on your lips right there. (laughs) That's not how that works. But actually, This is how it works. See, God, it says that he wants to make us holy, that we become holy because he's holy. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, he would tell his people this. Would you um, read this along with me? Ready, go. For I am the Lord your God. You must consecrate yourselves and be holy. Why? Because I am holy. He's saying, 
I make you holy. It's not because of your strengths. It's not because anything you can do. It's not because you say enough prayers, you give enough money, you come to church enough. It's nothing you can do, but you'll be made holy because I am holy. I will make you holy. And how does he do that? For Isaiah, he did it through burning coals, but later on in the New Testament, we would find out that he did it through his son, Jesus Christ. That in fact, in Colossians 1 verse 9, it would tell us that Jesus Christ embodied every attribute of God the Father in heaven. Everything. That means he had, Jesus had his holiness. Jesus had his mercy. Jesus had his grace. Jesus could hear us just like God could hear us. Jesus had every attribute of the Father in heaven. And what did he do with that? He sent Jesus, it says, to be holiness for you and I. That burning coal that was put on Isaiah's lips to make him holy, Jesus actually took that for you and me, but he did it through a cross. We're going to celebrate that this morning in just a little bit. But can I tell you this morning that I'll close with with a story that my son Malachi, you know, one day, this was a couple weeks ago, he found a red crayon and it's his favorite color, but he found a red crayon in the house and, and me and my wife were off doing something else. I was probably working on this message and she was cleaning the house and, and he had this crayon unattended. And what do you think he did with that crayon? He started to mark up anything that he could find. And within minutes, within minutes, we had red streaks on the walls, red streaks on the floor, in the kitchen, on the books, on the shelves, everything, you know, just with this red streak all across. He just started marking stuff up. It's funny, but you know, God does the same thing with you and I. That, that he wants to mark up anything he can find with his holiness. He wants to make anybody he can touch, any life he could touch, any place he could touch, any relationship he could touch, anything that's broken that he could touch, God is wanting to make it holy. Why? Not because we're holy, not because we can do anything great. He's going to humble us so that he could make us holy because he is holy. That when we commune with him, when we, when we trust in his son, Jesus, as every attribute of God sent to a cross to die and pay for every, remember we talked about shot that you've missed. Can I tell you this, that man, in life, just like in that basketball halftime game that I was in. You get one shot. And can I tell you that your only shot is Jesus. Your only shot at making it is Jesus. You're not going to make it on your own. You're not going to make it on your own. And so this morning, for some of us, we need to come to this place. It's going to be a place of remembrance where, God, I understand. I follow you. But, man, I'm in a place where I need to be humbled this morning. And so, God, would you begin humbling me and showing me areas in my life where I need, I'm not as good as I think I am, and I'm not as strong as I thought I was. But would you begin to humble me, not just to leave me there, not just to tell me that I'm junk, but to bring me into your holiness, to begin that process of making me holy as you're holy. That's where some of us are going to be this morning. Others of us, this is the first time that you're hearing that, man, you can shoot as many times as you want to, but you'll never make it by yourself. That the only hope is Jesus. And that God's humbling you this morning. He's showing you that that you've missed more shots than you could imagine. Not because he wants to tell you you're junk, 
but because he loves you so much that he's wanting to make you holy just as he's holy. For some of us, you, you heard the first part of the message before, that God's pointing out things in your life that aren't according to, to his standard, but you haven't heard the second half, and that's that he loves you and he wants to make you